You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Still, the leopard seal, they're amazing, they're behavior. Yeah, well, they do, they really... What can they teach us? That female leopard seal came, she dropped the penguin that she had in her mouth, came right, right his way, and opened up her large, massive mouth and put the whole thing over the entire head of his camera. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. I said, let's go back to the ocean, and we're going back to the ocean. <laughs> I've been missing it. Yes, and I'm smiling ear to ear because this week we're talking all about leopard seals. It's an apex predator in the Antarctic. So for me, this hit all the bells and whistles this week. And so if you're not familiar with leopard seals, consider this my Valentine's gift to everyone because they're just incredible, incredible seals. It's There's so much to talk about with these, these animals. The they, face, the teeth, oh, the hunting, the poor penguins. I uh, know, I know. Like I... I always had a kind of a negative feeling towards them because everybody loves penguins so much and you see them being preyed upon and you're like, oh, you're always cheering for the penguins to get away from leopard seals or orcas. And still the leopard seal, they're amazing. Their behavior. Yeah. Well, they do. They really stand out. They're the only seal that basically hunts warm-blooded animals mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there's a yeah there's a lot to dissect today and to fall in love with some of the behavior and yeah. uh yes it's gonna be fun well and they're the the second largest seal in antarctic waters and they're mm-hmm. the third largest pinniped so who are the yeah. the, the two they're bigger big. ones yeah mm-hmm. who are the two bigger ones Do you remember oh definitely yeah. the elephant seal in the yes. south yeah. and in the north the walrus, right? Yeah, I was going to do this for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Chris sticks two pins in the side of his mouth. Yes, yes. Uh, ding, 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 ding. Yes, walrus, yeah. right? Those, yeah, are huge. Yeah, but they're right behind them. I mean, they're right behind them. And, you know, leopard seals are also called sea leopards due to their, their coats, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But just first, want to give a shout out to all of our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. It just means the world to us. Oh, yeah. It really helps keep us motivated. So we, we just appreciate everyone so much. Absolutely. And again, just you know, one Starbucks co- cup of coffee a month, it supports us and supports conservation. And you know, we are reaching uh, people throughout the world. Angie and I were just looking at our statistics before we got going. You know, uh, welcome to our listeners in Russia and, and now China, but Japan. I always love, I always, always love seeing downloads in Uganda and Rwanda. And, and I imagine somebody's just about to go see mountain gorillas. So they're downloading some of those episodes uh, in Africa. And then our listeners in in Europe, obviously, you know, hello and South America. And then of course, uh, good old North America, our stronghold. But thank you all so much for listening. Yes. And a huge shout out this week to Maple Bagel, who gave us a brilliant review on iTunes, calling us the best podcast. So we really appreciate that. And Maple Bagel requested the ribbon seal, which is awesome because that's the seal that I told Chris we should cover. And I forget how we ended up doing leopard seal. But yes, I promise those are on the list hopefully this year as well. Well, yeah, we have uh, Plastic Free July. We always focus on the oceans there. So I know we've we've got one already penciled in for sure. That's going to push us out of our comfort zone a little bit. Uh, All I'll say is one of the fastest animals in the world that creates plasma. There you go. There's your hint. So people can figure that one out. But describing leopard seals, they're beautiful. They're beautiful animals. 
Yes, Chris, I agree 100%. Uh, what's really striking, of course, is their coat, their fur, the color. Leopard seals are named for their spotty coat. There's light spots, dark spots. They're all smallish in, in uh, size. And now the base fur color is going to have this counter shading, which we see with a lot of our marine animals from sharks to other seals, where they have a dark gray along their back or their top line. And then on their underside or their belly area is going to be more of like a silvery gray, almost cream looking color with spots throughout the entire body. But I think what really sets leopard seals apart from other seals is their head. Mm -hmm. They have this large head and almost reptilian looking. A lot of people describe it like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a dinosaur, I suppose, the, because they have this large jaw which is really well-designed for catching the prey, which we'll talk about when we get to nutrition and hunting. But they also have a little bit longer snout and their eyes are set back a little far farther and, and just a different shaped skull mm -hmm. compared to if you think of like a fur seal, right? The fluffy white ones that are super cute. So almost a head that grows on you after a while. And when you look at a leper seal from their profile, they almost have like a smile a permanent mm -hmm. smile, or some would say a menacing grin, <laughs> depending on <laughs> if you really love penguins, which we do, but it, it's a cute grin. They almost look like they're smiling. And their bodies are long and slender compared to a lot of the other seals, which we'll talk about the difference between true seals and other types of seals here in a little bit. But definitely a long and muscular, plus some blubber, for a seal. And lastly, you can't forget the leopard seal's flippers. Their front flippers are really long uh, compared to a lot of other seals. And it helps them glide through the water. And we'll talk a lot about that when we get to swimming. But definitely a much more prominent front pair of front flippers compared to other types of seals. Yeah. And like we mentioned, Angie, they're, they're, they're massive. I mean, up to 11 feet long, you know, up to four meters and can weigh up to 1,300 pounds or, or close to 600 kilograms. I mean, they are a big predator, a lot bigger than, than I thought, you know, when you're talking the third largest pinniped on earth, I, I didn't think they were that big. I knew they were yes. big, but yeah. Yeah. Or how far their mouth can open. I know. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> With those big canines. Yeah. And that just, it's like a serpent like body. It's just, they, they, they are streamlined, you know, especially, and, and we'll talk about it. Why, you know, it gives them agility in the water for hunting and everything, but just a gorgeous, gorgeous animal. They're so pretty. It, it, I think they're charismatic. Again, I don't like it when they hunt the uh, the little penguins, but you know they do serve their purpose in the wild. Oh, yes. And I have a really fascinating behavior about their prey. So, oh, sorry. Oh, yes, Kristen. I have a very fascinating behavior about what they do with the penguins once they catch them. So, okay. yeah, we'll yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's definitely interesting. Yes, yes, yes. They do have some fun behaviors. Now, this this seal is Antarctica. That is home. It, its primary range is all around the Antarctic continent. Now, what's interesting is their secondary ranges, and we'll talk a little bit more around here in New Zealand, but the southern coast of Australia, the southern coast of South Africa, and the southern coast of South America. Now they do kind of get up near Brazil. They they have spotted them up up that side, not quite as as much up into Chile, uh, that side of the Pacific, but in the Atlantic, probably because the water's a little bit colder there. Now what I love is here in New Zealand they are on our coast, and now we have some like residential leopard seals that have made New Zealand home. And I know one female they track up and down the coast. Uh, here just north of me. So I'm hoping I get to see one here soon, you know, out on the coast looking for them. It would be amazing. But generally their primary range, we're going to find the vast majority of them is in the Antarctic. Now, some of the other seals that you're going to, that you're going to find around Antarctica on top of le leopard seals is our Southern elephant seals do range around there. The fur seals, crab eater seals, Ross seals, and then also Weddell seals. So these are all the types of seals that you'll find in Antarctic waters. All very important, 
all playing critical roles uh, in keeping, you know, our oceans healthy. It's just the leopard seals just have a, have an interesting niche, right? Like compared to other seals, they're just, it, it's different than I would say an elephant seal, right? Oh, absolutely. Chris. I mean, first and foremost, the other seals in Antarctica aren't apex predators. And so when we talk about apex predator, that's like the top of the food chain. Think killer whales. And although there are reports that a killer whale can kill leopard seals, it's it's pretty it's pretty rare. So it's it's not very common. But in general, leopard seals are top seals. And because of that, they play a huge ecological role feeding on like large animals, right? Mm-hmm. That inhabit this Antarctic system. And although it might not be something we want to talk a lot about, by consuming penguins and other small to medium-sized animals, leopard seals help keep these populations in check. And so if their numbers plummet, it could be catastrophic to lower in the food chain to some of these medium-sized animals. And even really low down on the food chain, they also eat krill, the little shrimp-like uh, fish that swim in the water. And so they help keep that population in check as well. So they have a very diverse palate, uh, these leopard seals, and a really cool system of how they can eat both penguins and krill. And we'll talk a lot about that in nutrition when we talk about their teeth and their dentation. So it's just incredible how leopard seals have adapted to eat all of those things, right? It is. They're they're amazing. <laughs> they're amazing what they do. And with that being said, Angie, I looking at conservation in Antarctica and I know we've talked, especially going back to blue whales, you know, uh, it's funny when I go and look at our downloads and and those are still very popular episodes. And especially when I go back to the interview I had with Dr. Kim Getz, who was studying blue whales off here in New Zealand and talking about, you know, gas exploration and, and impacts on wildlife there. So when I was doing my, my prep for the podcast and looking at, you know, what's going on in Antarctica, this popped up. It was an article that just came out on the 14th of January this year, 2022. And the headline caught my attention and technology review, uh, I think it's produced by MIT. And it was the radical intervention that might save the doomsday glacier. Mm-hmm. And I sent this to you right away after reading this. And I was like, we're screwed. And you warned me not to be too dark <laughs> describing I this. I did. Yeah. A little <laughs> side note for the tangent. I was like, now, Chris, <laughs> let's let's try to find the uh, light at the end of this tunnel here. There is uh, some. There is some. I'll, I'll hopefully leave you. Uh, I mean, the title of the article, Radical Intervention That Might Save the Doomsday Glacier. So th- th- there you go. There. Th- I'll, I'll leave that at the end. But I was like, what is this doomsday glacier? I mean, I knew of melting ice, especially up there in the Northern Hemisphere with, with the Arctic, Greenland, Iceland, to an extent, all these Northern parts of the world are experiencing, you know, shrinking glaciers. Even here in New Zealand, in the South Island, our fjords are melting at an alarming rate. But I saw doomsday glacier, well, obviously it catches your eye. So this is the Thwaites Glacier, and you can Google that. It's T-H-W-A-I-T-E-S Glacier. It's an interesting read. It might make your hair stand up a little bit when you read this. Scientists are warning that this might collapse in the next 10 years. They're, they're predicting it is because of what's going on is these warmer waters are running around Antarctica and it's really underneath the glaciers. That's where you're seeing them melt is from the bottom up, not from the top down. So it's the water underneath them. And you see this with, with footage coming out of Greenland where they show these raging rivers running through these glaciers and these fields because the water underneath is melting and then that's melting these glaciers quicker. So the, the warmer oceans are working against the coast of Antarctica. Now this glacier, the Thwaites Glacier, and I hope I'm saying that right, but it's about the size of Florida. It's about 75 miles wide, 120 or 120 kilometers. It's massive. It's massive. 
Now, this glacier is in between me here in New Zealand and South America. So if I went south and then went east along Antarctica, that is where this is located. And a piece of it, the glacial tongue, which is about 31 miles across, they're expecting to collapse in the next five years. And one piece broke off from this glacier. Gets this, Angie. It happened in 2002, so 20 years ago. An iceberg named B-22 broke off from this piece of Thwaites Glacial Tongue. It was about 85 kilometers long and 65 kilometers wide. It was 5,500 square kilometers. It was massive. I know. I'm trying to visualize like, okay, how big is that? And I I just, I don't even think I can wrap my brain around it. Yeah. It's massive. It's massive piece of ice that broke off. And now, now that, that B-22 is now broken into five pieces. They said some of it's floating into, I think, uh, floating in the Pacific ocean or around Antarctica and a couple are just kind of hanging out there. But what experts are worried about is if this tongue collapses, which they're predicting in the next five years, then it's going to set off this chain reaction where we'll lose the entire ice shelf or this entire Thwaites glacier. Also with this thing, this, this, again, this glacier in 2019, NASA discovered an underwater cavity that is about two thirds the size of Manhattan. And they said nearly a thousand feet tall. Again, melting underneath is what's making this ice deteriorate quicker. So the implications, the so what of it all, this is where I was like, my jaw hit the ground. I was like, oh no. And why they're calling it the doomsday glacier is if this glacier collapses into the ocean, ocean levels will rise by about two feet. That's a lot. It is a lot. And I'm going to talk about that here in a second. If it keeps collapsing and the glaciers surrounding this one collapse into the ocean. Oceans can rise as high as 10 feet. Ooh, that's... Yeah. Scientists are alarmed. And I sent this to you and I was like, uh, some expletives, oh no, why are we not talking about this more? Why is this not in the news? Because... I know living in the United States, uh, probably all around the world, a lot of people live along our coastlines. People are moving to the coastlines. Uh, Here in the Southern Pacific Ocean, all of our island communities are going to be impacted. Uh, What if, if the island, if the ocean raises 10 feet, Fiji's gone. Like a lot of these. uh, Yeah, a lot of the island nations are in trouble with really. Any sea yeah. level rise, especially yeah. one of that magnitude. Yeah. So what I did is I was like, okay, you know, I love going down this rabbit hole and I don't love it, but I went down this rabbit hole and I went to the NOAA website. There is a, if you go NOAA sea level rise simulator, NOAA in the United States, you can go and it's it's just the United States because it's a United States entity, but you can mess around with it and raise the sea level and see how it impacts coastal communities in the U.S. And so I was sending some of these images to Angie. Like if the sea level goes up two feet, Miami gets flooded, New Orleans gets flooded, uh, parts of the East Coast of the United States get, get not just flooded, the ocean takes over, you know, the ocean comes back. If you go 10 feet, New Orleans is gone, uh, and Angie said, this would be nice. I went up the East Coast, you know, Charleston, South Carolina, one of my favorite places is gone. I showed you Boston, where you just were with your family over the holidays. Logan Airport's mm-hmm. gone. Lots of Boston is gone. Oh, yeah. We stay in uh, Somerville when we're there. And that, I don't know if it was gone, but it was definitely wet. Wet. It, it, it's. I looked at Manhattan, parts of Manhattan, Jersey. The East Coast of the United States gets hit hard. So then I went home to California and luckily most of the West Coast is protected because it is more mountainous, more elevated. But again, parts of Southern California are gone. Uh, Parts of the places I lived are gone. Uh, It's very alarming. 
it's very alarming. It, it, it's, you know, climate change, fortunately, is in the media. We are talking about it more. I think as we come out of this COVID pandemic. I think we are, Chris, but I feel like there still needs to be a much more intensive policy push. Yes. yes. Uh, so where's the silver lining, this light at the end of well, the tunnel? It, it, how, it, do I, we, how do we help us right. as lay people? I know, I know, I know. Well, education one, but I, I agree with you. I think... Fortunately, we're talking more about climate change than, say, three years ago when we started the podcast or four years ago. There is policy change, but I agree with you. It needs to be quicker. This this isn't by 2060, we're going to be coal free or whatever. No, it needs to be by 2030. You know, we, we need more green energy. We, we need to reverse these trends. Now, what scientists say for the, the Thwaites Glacier, the Doomsday Glacier, is even if we halted all the green house gas emissions today it won't do anything to stabilize this this tongue that's about to fall off so what they're doing and again the gist of the article i talked about in the beginning is they need what they're saying is they need to physically stabilize the ice sheets and so they need active conservation where they go and do some glacier geoengineering but again, a lot of money, a lot of logistics, will, political will, countries coming together need what to What does that in. mean or look like? Well, so some of the projects they've talked about, one idea is to do these things called seabed anchored curtains that are flexible sheets uh, that would hold back and redirect warm water. Again, I don't know how that would affect fish. I don't know how that would affect wildlife. But it's one way they're talking about these warmer ocean currents coming down to Antarctica that are melting the glaciers. They can maybe do that. Uh, mm-hmm. There's other things going in there talking about trying to buttress and, and build up ice and snow and stuff around the Thwaites uh, okay. and Pine Island Glacier. So there, again, scientists, there's no consensus yet. Some scientists are saying, no, that won't work. It may, you know, cause further damage. They don't know, Um, but they are raising the alarm about it. And so scientists like at MIT and around the world are are looking at it. I just think for us, it's education. Like when people say climate change, I, 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 I think it's all in our consciousness now that we're accepting it. Now the question is, what do we do? So I know here in New Zealand, there's there's a lot of push, but we still burn a lot of coal. You know, I I think I mentioned it in a podcast last year. I was at my son's soccer game, and you could I could I was breathing in fumes from the plant that was burning coal. It was winter. It was cold, and um, you know we still burn coal here in, in New Zealand, and we're seen as one of the greenest countries on earth. You know, with our policies. So I agree with you. I think there needs to be, you know, more political movement around the world. Climate change deniers just need to go away. Just they have no voice in any of this anymore. It is yes, climate change is real. Yes, humans are contributing to it. What can we do? What policies can we do? And at the end, I'll, I'll go through my spiel again of some some conservation tips. Individual, I think I, I put a lot of onus on myself. Sure, you know, I think walking it's an around individual my house community yeah. mm-hmm. state nationally, internationally, on all levels. Yeah, yeah. But it is having an effect, and it's going to affect leopard seals. It's affecting penguins. You know, there was – I just read an article yesterday preparing that I was going to probably talk about, but I switched to the Doomsday Glacier because that was more like, wow. Uh, But Gentoo penguins, uh, they are venturing further south because the ice is melting in Antarctica, and so they're finding colonies – you know, further and further closer to the, the, the South Pole than they've seen before. So it is impacting, you know, emperor penguins, leopard seals, all of these animals down there. So anyways, I will go and switch gears to evolution. I, I, <laughs> I hope that wasn't too dark. It was maybe a little dark, but it's also a uh a wake-up call and a reminder. And mm-hmm. uh, I definitely scrolled through the NOAA sea level rise simulator 
say that three times fast. I know, uh, I know, I know. <laughs> but I, I think we should put it on our show notes, and uh, and I think more people should be made aware to really give it. I'm a visual person when I teach, when I learn things, and so for me, those maps were really really powerful yeah. uh, and just a reminder of of why we need education and why we need to keep up the fight and uh, get everybody on the same page. Yeah. Cause so it's going to, it's going to have to be, it's going to have to be a collective movement. It's going to impact every continent, like period. Exactly. Sorry. I mean, it's, a, it's a, climate change is affecting everybody around the world, but sea level rise is going to impact everybody, you mm-hmm. know, and then you're going to have mass movement of people, social upheaval, it's just like, oh, and then we're just we're just coming out of this pandemic, which is one of the most horrific things any of us have experienced in our lifetime. Most of us, you know, uh, dealing with with this disease. So anyways, leopard seals. OK, now we're really well, and now we're going to uh, make things a little more fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. These guys. I don't know. Maybe these guys are good to talk about with some of this dark stuff because leopard seals can be a little dark, but fun. Just look at their evolution, though. Seal evolution is always fascinating. You know, we've at the end, I'll talk about some of the other species we've covered and give you those episode numbers. But again, seals, uh, sea lions, walrus, they all come from carnivoria. So again, close to 280 species of carnivores. We've covered quite a few of them and we'll continue to cover them. The Claude is Pinnipedia. So this is 34 species of seals, sea lions, fur seals, and our walrus. Now, within the seals or pinnipeds, leopard seals are from the family Phocidae, which is our true seals. So again, these are ones that don't have like little ears. They have ears, but not like uh, appendages that you see in sea lions, which sea lions, fur seals are from the family Odoridae, and then you have the walrus, which is the family of Odobenidae. So Phocidae, the true seals, we, we've talked about them before, which is where we covered the Hawaiian monk seal and our elephant seals. Okay, so these are from Phocidae. Then you have that ribbon seal, which I think we might cover in July now, since we had that request. You know, or the one is the Bacall seal. That's the one I. That's stuck I'm not, inland. I'm not familiar with that one. Lake Bakai, it's it's the one in Russia where oh, they're the only yeah, freshwater yeah, yeah. seal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know. Ribbon seal, that seal. I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough one. We might have to vo- have a vote. Well, yeah, so we can put a uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh bearded seal, hooded seal. So those are your true seals. And then when you go to the eared seals. You know, the fur seals, the sea lions, the Galapagos sea lions, New Zealand sea lion, uh, Guadalupe f- fur seal, all of those. Uh, so so that that's kind of the, the, the family of seals. Now, the leopard seal is in its own genus. It's its only species, and it's Hydru- Hydrugra leptinix. There you go. There you go. All right. <laughs> Good job. A plus on that, Chris. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Scientific names. All right, pinniped evolution. It covered this before, but just just to give you the cliff notes, seals date back almost twenty three million years, the the dawn of the Miocene, maybe a little bit earlier. And there used to be debate: seals and sea lions evolved differently, parallel evolution. But today, I think with genetics has helped that no, they all came back to a single single uh, rel- distant relative, which. Again, myocids is where all of our carnivores came from, so that's true for seals. Pinnipeds are related or close closely related to bears and, and otters. And the missing link, you sent me an article on this. Well, yeah, Chris, and I think it's really important to point out too that similar to the hippos that had the ancestor that just marched on into the sea and decided mm-hmm. to become a whale right. and dolphin. And or uh, these guys, these seals had a carnivore that was a land mammal that marched on into the sea to become our seals today, right? Yep, yep, yep. And which is the, crazy. So the the missing link, and you sent me the article on this, is Puyila. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, you know, a species has fascinating evolution when 
I send you articles on the evolution because <laughs> yes. that's pretty rare. I I usually don't uh, dive too deep into evolution, but this one was just too fascinating to not uh, read the full article. Yeah, it was like almost like a walking seal, kind of looked otter-like. Uh, they discovered fossils on the West Coast of the United States. Lived uh, anywhere about 20 million years ago. Mm -hmm. And then through the fossil record, you do find other ancestors of seals. We do know sea lions and seals diverged about that 23, very early on in their evolution. And then the leopard seal tribe, Monashene, uh, diverged about 22 million years ago. And then there's a lot of a dearth, I would say, just a, a, an abyss of knowledge in seal evolution because, again, these aquatic animals, it's hard to find fossils on them. And, you know, because when they die, they, they go to the bottom of the ocean, their bones are down there and they don't tend to fossilize. So we don't know exactly when leopard seals emerged, but other pinnipeds, walrus emerged about a million years ago. We have some data on that. So it's probably similar to, to leopard seals. So the, these guys have been around for, for quite a while, you know, probably for a couple million years uh, in the current version. Now, what I find interesting about leopard seals, the, the average lifespan is about 26 years, even though they think some might be living a little bit older than 30. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you did mention that orca is probably their only natural predator, but it is rare. But they can swim up to 23 miles an hour or 37 kilometers per hour. So they, they say they're, I mean, they're very agile and they can launch themselves onto ice uh, out of the water to escape predation or in hunting, right? Oh yeah, Chris, they can, they can move and glide and spin and almost look like they're flying underwater with those large four flippers and their streamlined shape. Well, it's, it, it's what's helped, you know, talking about swimming, you know, I, we, we did share that article on how they're different from a lot of other seals, you know, where like a harbor seal basically propels itself with its, its hind fin, right? Right. And the harbor seal has smaller four flippers, which they have a fair amount of dexterity to help them clasp things or hold things for lack of better terms. But their front flippers are not very helpful for swimming. It's coming from the hind end. Unlike leopard seals where these these front flippers, you know, that people say it helps them like fly underwater. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they do use it to help swim faster and give them that agility to catch penguins. Sure, that, to be apex predators. You have to be able to move quickly, dart around. And that evolutionary trade-off is these longer flippers. But these longer flippers do not enable you to hold food or uh, put things towards your mouth or anything like that. So yeah, it's just really, really fascinating. And until and until I read through this article, I just had no idea that, that some seals propel themselves more with their tail. Mm-hmm. And that some have these longer front flippers that help them move quickly and make turns and things like that. Yeah. It always reminds me of when we did the hammerhead, you know, how that... Yeah, uh, the way they can move. Yeah, yeah their, their heads help them uh, swim and be more agile. Well, that's kind of these these long front flippers. When you were talking about the, the harbor seal, I'm, I'm thinking of T-Rex, you know, those little stubby arms. Like <laughs> totally, <that's>, yeah. <laughs> totally T-Rex arms. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, some other characteristics, again, they, they don't have ear flaps, but they do have ear holes. Uh, they can stand or water for up to 15 minutes at a time. Unless they're juveniles, mm-hmm. uh, then they can hold their breath only for about seven minutes. Okay. That's a lot more than me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> definitely. Me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like you said earlier, the, the thick layer of blubber, you know, they, they are living in Antarctica and they're just that serpentine-like body. It really helps them hunt with these teeth, which you mentioned briefly, but what the canine teeth are up to an inch long or two and a half centimeters. Mm-hmm. So pretty substantial. And then the lobodont teeth. These, Yes, that was a yeah, new word for me this yeah, week, lobodont. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, It's just a fancy word for 
elongated ridges called lorfs uh, that run between cusps. And so this unique shape or unique cusp helps them strain krill, these small shrimp, out of the deep seawater. Well, it, and when you talked about that, like they filter feed. I briefly looked at a study that was showing leopard seals in a study where they were sucking food out of a out of a pipe that they they do suction feeding. So they will suck in the water with krill, filter it with these teeth, you know, and probably expel some of the the salt water and then swallow the krill. Because I think I remember going back to walrus. I mean, it was so many. Yeah, it was like 200 episodes ago. But didn't walrus, they they, they did suction feeding, like when they're down they with They did to whiskers. get the clams out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what it reminded me of. And by that way of feeding, the scientists estimate about krill compose about 45% of their diet. Yeah, it's a large portion, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Then they go hunting, right, with those canines. Mm-hmm. And not only go after penguins, but they may eat crab eater seals, weddell seals, fur seals. Yeah, other seals. I mean, cephalopods. Yeah. That's unheard of if you're a seal to eat another type of seal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And squid so. and yeah, they're, they're no joke. That's for sure. There was even one report that a leopard seal uh, had regurgitated a sea snake. Oh, that's good. <laughs> right? Oh, God. Oh. And then we have to talk about the penguins. So yes. if you're sensitive about penguins and predator-prey relationships, you might want to fast forward this part briefly because penguins do compromise about 30% of our leopard seals' diet. So leopard seeds are very well-documented eating penguins. Uh, in fact, there was a study in uh, 2009 that suggested in like one colony of Gintu penguins, leopard seals consumed about 15% of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, nature and balance, you need it. You know, it's every, every animal has a role. I don't like it. (laughs) You want to talk about their hunting? Because that video you sent me with Paul Nicklin, right? Amazing photographer. He's gotten some amazing images of leopard seals. And it was fascinating listening to him talk about that encounter with that oh. female leopard seal. Yeah. Oh, Chris, that footage of Paul Nicklin mm-hmm. with the leopard seal is famous. And if you're not a fan of or you don't follow Paul Nicklin, N-I-C-K-L-E-N, we'll put his handle on our um, social media page and our web notes. He is a famous photographer out of uh, National Geographic that just has stunning images. I follow him on Instagram right now. And every day I'm just like, how did you get that photo? Like, mm-hmm. wow. And a lot of it is documenting uh, animals that live in really extreme places like the Antarctic. And so he caught this footage in 2006 of leopard seals. And the first day he was filming, he had all this gear on and lo and behold, there was a large, large uh, female leopard seal that uh, he estimated to be longer than their boat. And their boat was about 12 foot and over a thousand pounds. And his, the guy he was working with said, get in the water. This is your chance. And he was Mm -hmm. very nervous uh, just knowing uh, some history about leopard seals and they're not, they don't always tolerate human uh, encroachment very well, but he he did his job because he's very brave and he's a world renowned photographer. He got in the water, and sure enough, that female leopard seal came. She dropped the penguin that she had in her mouth, came right right his way, and opened up her large, massive mouth and put the whole thing over the entire head of his camera lens. And he just held his breath and waited for it to be over. And <laughs> luckily, she was just doing more of a threat display because she did that a couple. She did that a couple times, uh, and then after that, she turned around and left. And he was like, "Okay, I, I, I lived. I don't know what kind of footage I got. I just kept click, 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 clicking my camera. And so there's footage of like inside of her mouth, basically, which is just crazy. So she leaves." But she comes back and she brought him a penguin. And she swims right up to him and she releases the penguin. Uh, And the penguin swims away. 
And Chris, she does this a couple more times, each time bringing a live penguin and presenting it to Paul, the photographer. Of course, he's a human with a camera. He wants nothing to do with a, a penguin, let alone a live one. And interestingly enough, he filmed this uh, leopard seal for four days. And over the course of four days, she first started bringing him these live penguins. And every time it would swim away, she would, she would swim past him almost with a little bit of disgust in her eye or disdain. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And then he realized uh, that she was trying to feed him or teach him to feed like you might do with an mm -hmm. offspring or something. Mm -hmm. And him being a human wanted nothing to do about eating a penguin. So she kept doing this. And then she would bring him like maimed ones that were like sick, uh, that she'd maybe drowned like briefly or banged, banged around a little bit and let them go by her. And of course, he didn't grab that. And then finally, she started bringing him penguins that were deceased that she had killed. And then she was even taking the penguins and putting it over on top of his head. So he has all this crazy footage of like, you just see like a penguin uh, foot dangling in front of the camera where she yeah. had flip, flipped this thing onto his head. Like, come on, like, what are you doing? <laughs> and, and then one point she was making a really like deep vocalization, which we'll talk about that. And he was like, uh Oh, does she, is she getting like mad at me? Is she about mm -hmm. ready to attack me? Because I'm, I'm I don't know how to eat a penguin or I don't want to eat her, <laughs> her gift, yes. her Valentine's day gift. Like, uh, no, thank you. Uh, but then he had realized there was another female uh, leopard seal that was coming up behind him. And so she was telling that other leopard seal, get out of here. This is my man. Either, yeah, this is <laughs> my, my man yeah, or yeah. my baby yeah, or yeah, my yeah. friend. Yeah. Uh, but it was such a cool story that he told. And we'll put the, the, the National Geographic like TED talk that he gave about it with all the photos on our show notes. But it was so touching to him because it showed this other side of leopard seals. A lot of times they're in photos opening their mouth or killing penguins. Uh, and it just showed this really more gentle and curious, inquisitive, intelligent side of them uh, that that Paul Nicklin, the National Geographic photographer, said was the most memorable or incredible experience he had while shooting for in National Geographic. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. It's incredible. And we haven't mentioned this yet. There was a researcher that was killed by a leopard seal. It was the only instance of a leopard seal killing somebody. Uh, it's extremely rare. But, you know, you Google his name with leopard seals. That She's massive compared oh, yeah. to, next to him. And yeah. You know, oh, yeah. And then he, when he's yeah. telling the story about her mouth coming over his camera and like almost over his head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, initially when they first met each other and then, yeah. and then I guess she fell in love with him after that. So, yeah. uh, I mean, or something, respect, you know, yeah. you always respect wildlife and, and absolutely are, are, are rare, it, very rare to happen. But yeah, watching that interaction was amazing, but you know, not so much dangerous for humans, but definitely for penguins, right? Like some of those hunting behaviors are crazy. Yeah. Well, in general, leopard seals are solitary. Um, of course, they come together, they're breed, and we'll talk about that shortly. But they're solitary, and they're often aggressive to one another, and they hunt typically alone. So they have to be very fast and agile and smart in order to catch their warm-blooded prey. And then I, as I mentioned earlier, when I was talking about the, the long four four fins of the leopard seal that they don't have the claws in the um, ability to hold on to their food while they're floating like other types of seals and then they're also handicapped in the fact that they don't have shearing teeth like carnivores on land lions hyenas things like that who use these teeth like knives to basically chew the prey down into swallowable bites mm -hmm. so they don't have either of those so what they do is they will patrol uh, the water's edge near the ice floats and they'll hang out completely submerged. And basically when the penguins enter the water to go feed it for themselves, they snatch it up by grabbing the poor little penguins by their feet. Now, they have the penguin by the feet and that's how the female leopard seal was presenting penguins to the photographer Paul Nicklin. 
when she was giving him gifts of love or whatever <laughs> she was doing. I don't want to anthropomorphize too much. Yes. But once they get the penguin by the feet, they don't have the the claws to hold it very well um, or the teeth to shear it. So they engage in what I call, I don't, I don't know if this is a technical name or not, but prey smashing behavior. Mm. So once the leopard seal has the penguin's feet in its mouth, they basically go up to the surface and beat the body of the penguin against the surface of the water repeatedly until the penguin is dead or maimed. And they just thrash and shake it until it's broken down into smaller pieces. And although this is a pretty ingenious solution for the leopard seal, it can be pretty violent for people that do observe this behavior, whether it's a photographer or a researcher. And it, it probably doesn't help their overall uh, uh, appearances <laughs> for being aggressive and things like that, because it, it can look pretty brutal. And there was also a thought for a long time that leopard seals had to skin their uh, penguins before they could eat them because of, once again, not having these shearing teeth. Researchers now think that it's basically just the bashing in the water and arcing it over their head and slapping it around that can help it look like it's removed its skin. And then they can eat the, the inside, if you will, from the inside out. Now, with that being said, <laughs> <laughs> they are solitary, but there have been really interesting uh, reports and witnesses of leopard seals working together hunting and or sharing their catch. So researchers aren't sure if it's um, like an adult and a juvenile because um, as I mentioned earlier, juvenile seals can only hold their, their breath for seven minutes. And during the spring and summer months when the juveniles aren't fully grown, the krill sinks down deep, deeper in the ocean and so they have a harder time krilling, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so a lot of times they need to eat penguins because they can't hold their breath to go down and get the krill and do all that. And so researchers think that it might be um, some of this co either cooperative hunting and or sharing of penguins uh, with juveniles to help basically help them get food um, when they can't eat krill. And when it has been reported, about half the time, if they're seen feeding in pairs, uh, one leopard seal would tear the prey while the other held on as like an anchor to hold it. So that way they don't need to do all this thrashing and, you know, smashing yes. uh, their prey to death and to help break it up into pieces. They basically use teamwork. But because of where they live, they are hard to study um, as far as all these really cool behaviors. So we just have little hints of what they might be capable of, like either in a social group or other hunting styles. And so researchers definitely need more data to fully understand if this is sharing or did somebody steal it and then somebody's fighting for the penguin back. Is it basically um, kleptoparasitism, which is a fancy word for stealing another animal's food that they caught, that they worked hard for, and then you right. just take it. So much more data is needed for all of our budding young Antarctic uh, animal scientists. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but so cool, right? Like this is why we need to conserve them and learn more about them because there's still so many unknowns. Well, I, I really hope to see leopard seals. And then I was just thinking of our little blue penguins that we covered. I hope they don't hunt them. I don't want to see this behavior. <laughs> I'm sure you would. No, nobody sure. wants to see it, no. Chris. I mean, even the, no, no. even the, even some of the footage, that Paul Nicklin has mm. of uh, some of the maimed uh, and or dead penguins that uh, his, like, his leopard seal friend was presenting to him. It's, yeah, it's still It hits sad. you in the feels. Yeah. It hits you right in the mm -hmm. feels. You're like, mm -hmm. uh. But one thing that did, it, it popped up on my Facebook today is is one of my, one of our past students, Ashley, she's going to get her PhD in oceanography. So shout out to her. Um, she's Yay, an undergrad years awesome. ago. I know. Mm -hmm. So all of our, all of our budding, you're right. Scientists, they are listening and they are out Full there. Full circle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Go out there and get some more, uh, Antarctic, uh, animals and leopard seal behaviors and penguin yeah. behaviors. But, yeah. 
and one of the things I in that video he talked about the vocalizations that these seals are very vocal, aren't they? Especially underwater. Yes, Chris. Uh, leopard seals are definitely very acoustic. Uh, from what research scientists know, it's probably their main way to communicate with one another uh, during the breeding season. And also if they are in one another's territory, like when the female leopard seal was presenting her gifts to mm-hmm. photographer Paul Nicklin, the one came up from behind and he said she made this you know, deep kind of moan or trill-like sound uh, mm-hmm. to basically most likely tell the other female, you better get out of here. Uh, (laughs) I'm the one bringing him penguins, not you, sister, right? So researchers think they have two types of calls. Uh, They have what they call local calls, which is what that female did to probably the other female. And then they also have long distance calls or broadcast calls, uh, which are going to be used to uh, help find mates during breeding season um, and also it may help communicate like territory. And between males and females, the male leopard seal is going to be a lot more vocal and a lot more louder than a typical female. And Chris, there's just this one awesome description about a male leopard seal that they call it singing underwater, where the male will basically be on an ice patch and he will like hang upside down, put his head underwater move his head back and forth, left and right, left and right, inflate his chest, and just go to town, (laughs) making these crazy underwater noises uh, that can be cricket-like trills or, once again, these kind of haunting moans. Um, and, And then he'll pull his head out of water and rest for a minute and then go back down and uh, repeat these patterns. So... Once again, there's still a lot that researchers don't know about their acoustic skills, except for that there's definitely are some patterns to them, which of course we'll see in uh, birds during breeding season and even just birds that sing songs, right? And that male leopard seals also have to kind of grow into their singing voice. The younger males will have a different style of vocalization than the older males. So just really, really incredible uh, incredible sounds that they make underwater, which to to a photographer that's uh, snorkeling, <laughs> it probably doesn't sound like much, but obviously to other leopard seals, it communicates very effectively mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, helps them, you know, navigate the world that they live in. So just really, really intelligent creatures. Like I, I, I would love to see more. Um, more data on just the acoustics and the patterns and how the other leopard seals respond and things like that. Um, We know seals are incredibly intelligent, right? Um, But once again, there's just not a ton of data on the uh, leopard seal, but it has been documented that they play. And so they may play with their food once again. Sorry, uh, penguins. <laughs> um, usually they're dead though, uh, but they'll they'll try to engage um, in play with other juvenile uh, leopard seals. So just just filled with fun and sport. And they they are not these super aggressive seals, right? Uh, they're they definitely have a lot of heartwarming moments. And I think the more us humans learn about them and study them. And of course we want to keep a safe, respectable distance because they're huge and they're, mm-hmm. and they are carnivores and their teeth are huge. But yeah, the more we learn about them, I think uh, the more we're finding that they're just really intelligent feeling awesome creatures. Yeah. They've got it. If you're going to come back as a, as another animal, that's, that's one I think I would like to come back as is they, they got it pretty good down there. You know, just south of me and or around me, but down, especially down around Antarctica, with not very many predators. You know, orcas. Yeah, I mean, they're the kings of the Antarctic, for lack of better terms, right? Yeah, Yeah, and orcas are kind of vocal, so you can hear them coming. It's like, uh oh, time to get out of the ice. Poop. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. yeah, Yeah. And who knows, maybe they're so smart they can learn to work with the orcas. Yeah. 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 And then the poor penguins wouldn't have a chance. Oh my goodness. Now, I was fascinated reading this. So uh, some of the stuff in reproduction with them is very unique, like other species. So what can you tell us about leopard seal repro? 
Not enough, Chris. I know, uh, true. As true. <laughs> as repo dork that I am, uh, in fact, I have to teach a male anatomy lab this Wednesday. Uh, so that'll be that. That's always a, a very fun and interesting one. But not enough because of where the leopard seals live. Right. This is an extreme environment. Uh, observations are difficult. Uh, researchers believe that they they breed underwater when they're in the water. Uh, so it's just, it's hard to learn a lot, but what we do know from either them living in under human care or from documented references in the wild is that leopard seal breeding season occurs around December and will move into January and males are pretty much polygamous, which means they try to mate with as many females as possible during breeding season. And not much is known once again about the courtship behavior or the actual act of copulation, but it's presumed that a lot of these vocalizations, these males singing underwater and things like this are part of the courtship or at least attracting the females to find them. And we do also know that after a female is bred, the male has no active role. He's off on his own to find another female, probably make more vocalizations. Mm -hmm. And the gestation of these guys is really cool Mm -hmm. because if you look it up, it'll say nine months in some places and 11 months in other. Yeah. And so, of course, the scientist in me is like, what is going on here? Let me go, uh, you know, let me go to PubMed or Google Scholar. And what's going on is female leopard seals, when they do conceive, they experience delayed implantation yeah. by about one and a half months or so. It's crazy. Exactly, right? Yeah. So cool. And yeah. you and I, of course, are delayed implantation nerds because uh, the horses and other ungulates that we study do not use this strategy. Mm-mm-mm. It's often a carnivore strategy, bears, mm-hmm. um, uh, to name one. So what happens is the fertilized egg basically implants into the uterus, but stops dividing. So it's like a pause. It's just like you know, you go from one cell to two cell to four cells to eight cells to 16 cells, 32 cells. Yeah. I can't do the math after that. 64. I got 64, it. 64. Now I'm done. 256. <laughs> You're good. 512. Oh, 1028. Somewhere around there. <laughs> I don't know the yeah. number, but somewhere around there, uh, yeah. it just freezes. Like mm-hmm. cellular division freezes. I don't think researchers research don't know what the what I know the, that's the what hormone or the cue that stops it. What's what so. tells it to stop? What tells it to stop? I want to know. And then but, okay, yeah. but then what tells it to start? Because I uh, know the, the, so crazy. I love science, yeah. and so uh, so depending on the species, like sometimes it's one month, sometimes it's three months. These leopard seals, it's about one and a half or two. Uh, some data suggests that it has to do with nutritional status, mm-hmm. maybe daylight status. I don't know if that's true down in the Antarctic. Um, they just don't know. And this is why when we talk about saving species and how it's so important to love on them and to save them and to study them because we have so much to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but what we do know is whenever the female gets that signal, okay, go from what you say, like five to 26 cells to or no, whatever no, it is. Wait, what is it? Whatever it is. Six and then it's five, twelve, and then ten, okay. twenty-eight, ten, twenty-four. Yes. I don't yeah. know. I got lost. <laughs> when it's time to go to the next division, yeah. whatever that is, yeah. uh they don't know what the cue is, but mm-hmm. but then she'll be pregnant for about a solid nine months of yeah. that uh that embryo turning into a fetus and like growing and growing and growing. And because it's about 11-month gestation period with this delayed implantation, it's almost like our horses that pretty much give birth every year at the same time. They give birth, and then they get pregnant again, and then they give birth the next year, and then they get pregnant again in that cycle. And that pattern is it happens in leopard seals because the female leopard seal will be an amazing mom to the pup that she gives birth to. Usually it's just one. She makes a little circular hole in the ice and she lactates for the pup and gets the pup ball nice and fat. But the pup is weaned after four weeks, one month. That's it. Off you go. Bye-bye. So pretty crazy, right? Like you put that much investment in, but the reason is, is she needs to start cycling again oh, yeah. to be rebred to give birth 
another basically 11 months or so. And now these juveniles are like a month old. They're a big uh, in this in the sense that they are a leopard seal, but they're still young and immature. And so uh, they feed a lot. They feed on krill a lot, and they've also been observed in large numbers hanging out together near the sub Antarctic islands. Um, and so you know maybe there's some safety in numbers, and maybe you know that's how they learn their hunting from there. But I but I didn't find any data on how they learn all these awesome hunting skills later on in life to catch penguins. Where would they learn it? Like, <laughs> no, we don't know yet. Maybe, Watching okay. a horror film. Yeah, I mean, no, I, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Well, we just don't have the data. So we need uh, people like Ashley who's going to go get her PhD or yeah, others. To go yeah. Down and learn more. Yeah. And leopard seals are pretty slow to mature sexually. So uh, it's going to be about four years for a female and about four and a half for a male. So it does take them a while to to really uh, start the the life cycle over again. So they have a pretty long generation generational interval. Well, the good news is the IUCN has them as least concern. The count they have is 35,000, but scientists believe that can be upwards of 200,000 uh, leopard seals. So they're doing okay. Obviously, climate change is going to impact them, you know, and, and further exploitation of our southern oceans. But for now, they're doing well, which is good. It's just good. But there are organizations out there helping them. Yes, Chris. I was so happy to find leopardseals.org. That's L-E-O-P-A-R-D-S-E-A-L-S.org. They can be found on social media and they have a brilliant website. And they are home to everything you ever wanted to know about leopard seals in New Zealand. So I told Chris, I'm like, you got to contact the staff and see if you can meet with them and let's become their best friends because this organization does a lot to help educate people about leopard seals and to research them and learn more about them. They have a ton of information about what hap- about what the public should do if they see a leopard seal. So a lot of citizen science going on here in New Zealand. And of course, they have tons of facts about leopard seals from just general facts to basically how to identify a male versus a female, what to do if you approach one, what to do if you find an injured one, what the protections and laws are in regards to leopard seals. Um, They have a lot of information about World Leopard Seal Day, which was just recently launched and it's the 1st of November. So we will remind everyone of that on our social media feeds when it's the first of November uh, to keep learning and loving more about leopard seals. So yes, huge shout out to leopardseals.org. They have a great team of educators and scientists uh, that help uh, run this organization and definitely check them out, especially you, Chris, since they are right in your neighborhood. And yeah, I think it'd be great to get um, one of their team members on the podcast. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I know. I'd love to to talk to them. Well, if you're interested in our pinnipeds, the other episodes, uh, episode 57, Walrus, which is a fun one. Episode 82, Elephant Seal. That was a lot of fun. Episode 148, the Hawaiian monk seal, which was very interesting, that that tropical uh, seal that lives uh, just north of Hawaii, uh, you know, Midway Island around there. And then episode 178 was California sea lions. So we we were due for a pinniped. Uh, So I'm glad we covered this one. And in July, I don't know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough between that, uh, what was it, ribbon seal and the Vicala seal. I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be a tough one. Maybe both. We could have a a month. I mean, celebrate seals, right? They're incredible. Gosh, I had so much of the video footage I watched Mm -hmm. this week. Uh, It was just, they're an incredible species. and, And we're just still learning so much about them. And I just... I feel really hopeful and inspired that we'll keep learning more and we'll, and we'll save their habitat and save ourselves. In yes. The interim, well, right? in, in that, in that spirit, you know, again, conservation tips, some of this is, you know, you've heard us say this before, but have you developed these habits? Have you, one of the things I, I always talk about is turn off lights. I walk around my house. I make sure I turn off lights. Like, and I'm not mm-hmm. in the rooms. I, I try to power things down try to conserve. And that's because, you know, electricity is expensive here in New Zealand, but it's just also, I'm always thinking, okay, what's my carbon footprint? 
water. Um, turn off those taps when I'm shaving, brushing my teeth, washing dishes, anything in the kitchen. I If the water's running, now I'm in the habit where the water's running. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I turn it off. Absolutely. Like I've, I've just mm-hmm. developed that habit where a few years ago, I would just let it run while I do my thing, not even thinking about it. Oh yeah. Or once in a while when our toilet runs, John and I like sprint to it to like <laughs> fix it first because it's yeah. like, there's no need to waste water, right? You just yeah. open up the lid and just pop down the stopper Yeah, and it, it's a quick fix, right? Yeah. So yeah, little things like that are just making sure all faucets don't leak, like that they're turned off properly or if they're not getting them looked at, getting them, getting them fixed to tighten. So they actually turn off just, yeah, just being a, a um, a steward of, of your environment, right? Your mm-hmm. home environment. Mm-hmm. I I started I've started turning off the light in my front porch. Yeah. Because like I don't really need it. And I'm not having visitors at three in the morning. Or, or probably, and how about this? Turning my front porch light off, I've actually had more wildlife visitors, raccoons, possums, yeah, there you go. There you go. armadillos. And I know that they come because my dog, Rainbow, lets go. me that, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> She's very security. diligent in the evening and the wee hours of the morning. But little things like that. So mm-hmm, it, it's mm-hmm. it's fun and empowering and every little bit helps. Uh, but yes, definitely continue to vote with your dollar and and get people in office that are like-minded, that that believe in climate change, have been on this NOAA, uh, what, what was it called? The, the, the NOAA Sea Level Rise Simulator. That have been on this NOAA Sea Level Rise Simulator and are like, oh my, like Chris and I, and mm-hmm. and feeling compelled to tell other people about it and share it with your friends and get the conversation started. Uh, and I know here in the States, we've had some really gnarly weather this winter, uh, weird weather. So people keep talking about it like this, you know, these, these weather patterns are not normal. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, yes. So. And this is the decade of change. This is the decade is. we need to change. It really we, is. We can, we can do this. We, we can reverse these changes. This is the time to do it is now. And as we get out of this COVID pandemic that has dominated all of our lives the last couple of years, you know, this is the next big challenge uh, for humanity. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're just going to keep doing it. We're going to keep out there. We've got a really fun species next week. I'm excited. I'm smiling already. Yeah, I know. I know. It's a good one. This one we've been wanting to do for quite a while, and it's going to take a little digging on on Angie's part for the behavior stuff, but I think you're going to love it. So stay tuned for that. Thank you, everyone, for listening, learning, loving, and conserving. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. <laughs>